Real quick, before we get started, I'd like to thank you for your constant support. It's been amazing. If you have a story to tell, please reach out via email at contact at campfirecultpod.com or leave me a voicemail at 720-297-8608. If neither of those options work for you, you can always record a voice memo and send it to me via email. Either way, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Welcome, dear listeners, to the Campfire Cult Podcast. From a camper van deep in the haunted woods, I bring you first-hand accounts of chilling encounters with the paranormal. Step into the night and take a peek into the realm where reality and the supernatural collide. My name is Jazz, and I'll be your host. Gather round, campers, for another haunted journey into the unknown. Tonight, we'll venture deep into the heart of the forest on a chilling camping expedition. As night descends upon us, beware, for danger lurks beyond the campfire in the veil of darkness. For our first story of the evening, we're headed out on a kayak camping trip around Vancouver Island, British Columbia. It's worth pointing out that my brother is an engineer. He meets many of the stereotypes and is not well known for his imagination. I say this because I doubt he'd be able to concoct such a story like this. Every time he tells it, he appears visibly unnerved. So for what it's worth, I believe that he thinks it's a genuine experience. A couple of years ago, my brother and his friends took two handcrafted kayaks up the wild western coast of Vancouver Island. It's a place of extreme weather, gorgeous beaches, and bountiful wildlife. Their plan was to explore the various small little inlets and islands that dot the western coast and use much of their wilderness training as they could. They would fish for much of their meals, make fires with driftwood, and use the boats and tarp for shelter. They made good progress the first two days. They had a slight headwind, but frequently ducking behind islands made the journey pleasant. The first night they camped on a beach and didn't even bother with a tent, choosing to have the stars above them and nothing else. They woke up early the next morning and headed out onto the water, one person rowing, the other fishing. They caught a salmon and continued on the journey, passing seals, otters, and plenty of birds. The second night passed equally uneventfully, more spectacular sunsets and lovely beaches. The sky was a little cloudier and they fell asleep with rain gently tapping away at their tarps. The next day, the weather had gotten a little wilder. All the same, they headed back out into the waves. They had less luck fishing, but were content to row their way up the coast. As the afternoon started to get late, they started making their way up the channel. The waves had increased in size, and coming into a sheltered bay with a long beach, they found themselves working hard to ride the surf in. Huge waves crashed into the beach, and they had to be careful not to get swept into the rocks or turn perpendicular into the wave and risk capsizing. My brother was the first ashore. The moment his feet hit the sand, he felt uneasy. Not any specific reason for it, he just felt uncomfortable. 
They hauled the boat onto the shore, and while two of the boys went to make a fire, the other two started trying to set up their shelters. The winds were dying down, but it was a cold night and darkness was falling quickly. On previous days, when they got into camp, it'd be chatting, jokes, and friendly ribbing as they went about their tasks. But everyone was quiet this time. Finally, somebody broke the silence and asked, Does something feel, I don't know, a little off to you? Right? Somebody else said. This place just feels really creepy. Something just felt wrong and uncomfortable, but nobody really understood why. They briefly considered switching sides, but it was late, dark, and they were all so tired. So they went back to making do with what they had. My brother went off in search of some logs to use for poles for the shelter, when he heard something moving along the grass and bushes just beyond the beach. It sounded kind of large. He wondered, could it be a bear? As he knew Vancouver Island had a healthy bear population. He would have ignored it, but his unease made him jumpy. He grabbed a stick as a weapon, but felt immediately silly and put it back down. He found a good log and turned to head back towards the rest of the group when the bushes and grass all shook. It sounded like something heavy was moving about, like a deer or a bear or a bear eating a deer, but it was kind of off. There wasn't any sound of footsteps, just wrestling. There was no snapping of branches or sticks. He looked about and saw nothing, with his uneasiness growing. He hustled back to the guys, but didn't mention the wrestling. Grabbing a few cans of food from the boat, he turned and suddenly there was a flurry of movement that shook the grasses closer to the camp. Everyone jumped up, casting their lights about trying to find the source, but it was in vain. Finally, the fire was lit. My brother had said that they hoped it would make them feel a little more secure, but the opposite actually happened. Seconds after the fire was lit, a whole section of the grasses and bushes began to shake wildly. This time, it was at a much greater scale. Still, no footsteps, but the rustling was huge. Fearing a bear, they all grabbed sticks and rocks and shouted into the darkness. The grass just rustled, shook, and swayed, then died down. They immediately decided that they didn't want to be there anymore, even if it was dark. Despite the darkness and the challenging surf, they would finish their dinner and get the heck out of there. The two boys working on the shelter immediately set about dismantling it. The fire was growing in size, and they tried to get the pots to sit properly on it, but they found themselves thinking more about the growing darkness and the deep sense of disturbance none of them could shake. Then the rustling returned, wilder than ever before, as if a whole hundred meter section of grass and bushes and trees just beyond the light were being shaken ferociously. They jumped up, casting their lights about, seeing no silhouettes, just grass heaving back and forth. They yelled, trying to scare off whatever it was, animals or people, it didn't matter, but the rustling kept up. The tempo began to increase, and it spread, slowly edging further and further in either direction around the beach. Soon they were surrounded by swaying, rustling vegetation with their backs to the sea. Louder and louder, the sounds grew until it was a crashing crescendo, the plants slamming back and forth viciously. Even the trees joined in, crashing up and down, backwards and forwards. They couldn't hear themselves think. The cacophony even drowned out the sound of the crashing waves. They didn't discuss it, just ran for the boats, tossed their gear inside, and ran them into the water, hopping in and charging into the surf, their dinner uneaten and left behind. One of them even got bowled over by a wave as he pushed the boat, tumbling into the water. He righted himself and dashed back, and his partners hauled him in. They rode as hard as they could out of the waves. As they got past the surf, the crashing trees, bushes, and grass came to a halt. The only sound that remained were the waves. As they drifted, catching their breath, they looked back at their beach. My brother says he imagined a figure, though he thinks it's false memory or his imagination turning shadows into something more sinister, 
But what each boy saw as they looked back, the fire suddenly getting extinguished by a large creature. They rode through the night, having too much adrenaline and fear for them to sleep. They canceled the rest of the trip and headed back to their starting spot, arriving exhausted and relieved. My brother said the whole time on the island, he felt like he was trespassing and very much unwelcomed. He also said he makes no assumptions about what it was. I asked him about it being the wind and he says it was too consistent to be wind and he watched trees move inconsistently with how the wind moves trees, but acknowledging he was so stressed he might not even have noticed it. Curiously, I mentioned this to someone who spent a great deal of guiding time in the area for a kayaking company. I mentioned the experience offhand and he immediately knew what part of Vancouver Island it was. For story number two, this one is really conflicting. I would like to think I'd go look for a kid yelling out, Dad, help. But this story will make you think twice about charging into the unknown after a lost child or a hungry Wendigo. This would have been about seven years ago when I was 16. I was bear hunting with my dad and brother in the Allegheny National Forest near Tyanesta, Pennsylvania. The area we were hunting in was one I had camped in since I could walk. Because of my experience in the area, I was allowed to hunt by myself. I remember it was getting later in the day, just about time to turn and hike back to camp. There were maybe four inches of snow covering the ground, and judging by the sky, more would fall soon. The light had just started to fade in the heavy foliage as I slowly hiked along the ridgeline, stopping every few minutes to look and listen. As I was making my way towards camp, I heard a small child's voice in the distance. Dad. The voice sounded like it belonged to a little boy, and I froze. Trying to pinpoint the location, Dad. the voice cried out again. This time, it was frantic. Finally, Dad, help. then, help, help, help. my immediate thought was that the boy had been split from his father and was realizing how dark it was starting to get out in the big woods. But he sounded so young, I couldn't imagine how he could have been left alone. The way his whimpering voice cut through the stillness in the snow-covered trees still gives me chills to this day. It stopped me dead in my tracks, and my heart automatically started pounding. I took my rifle off my shoulder to hold it in one hand so that it wouldn't be flailing about as I started racing over the snowy terrain towards the voice. I stopped in the clearing to listen again as his little voice cried out, Dad, help. I bellowed out, I'm coming for you, keep yelling. His message didn't change as if to alert me that he had heard me, still just, Dad, help. I knew that he was on the lower side of the main road that splits from the forest and most likely near a little waterway known as Lamentation Creek. My brother was hunting down there and I knew he must have been hearing the same cries as I was. I dropped off the snowy hillside, almost sliding down until I got into the road. I listened to the voice still crying out as I caught my breath on the roadway. I descended the steep ravine and started racing towards the creek. I thought I must have been getting close, so I called out to let him know I was coming for him. A few moments went by and there was no response. I started walking briskly instead of running so I could hear him if he cried out again. Then everything in my body said, STOP! The hair on my arms stood straight up under my wool shirt and I froze in place. The darkness was creeping steadily into the enclosed hollow. My senses became fine-tuned and I could hear nearly every snowflake falling in place on the ground. My eyes instinctively scanned the expanses, searching for movement, color, or light. He hello My voice cracked as I spoke into the darkness. No answer. Again, I yelled out in the direction of the small voice, but again, I received no reply. Not from him or any of the other few dozen hunters I had seen earlier in the day. My voice carried through the heaviness of the silence, and yet no one replied. I knew damn well my brother was in hearing distance, but still, nothing. That voice inside my head that previously had said, STOP, now it said, LEAVE. 
but I couldn't bring myself to just turn and run. I stood there for another 15 to 20 minutes, calling out to the voice in two minute intervals, never hearing a response. I walked through those woods slowly and alert as I've ever been in my life, constantly checking my six and scanning for signs of life that were never there. When I got back to the camp, I asked my dad and brother if they had heard a small voice, and neither of them did. Then I asked if they heard my voice, and again, they hadn't. My voice carried and echoed through those woods. I know it did. And yet, they hadn't heard a thing. We talked to some guys who were camping close to the creek to see if they had heard anything, seen a small child, or knew anyone that had been missing a child. No one had, but they had thought they heard somebody asking for help the night before. Their heroic explorations resulted in nothing as well. Now I'm left to wonder what that was. But after listening to paranormal podcasts that are popular these days, I don't think there was a kid after all, but possibly something more sinister. Dad, help. Now on to story number three, where we'll find a simple family camping trip that turns sinister with threatening warnings, dead woodpeckers, mysterious voices, and vanishing belongings. Every year, my stepdad's family has a family reunion camping trip up in Northern California. My mom married him when I was 22 and I'm only 27 now, so I've only been to a few of them. I moved to Chicago two years ago, so I've missed out on the last couple reunions. The first one I went to right after their marriage. My little brother, mom, and stepdad threw all of our stuff into his truck and decided to make a road trip out of it. Heading from Southern California to the campgrounds up north, it was about a 13 hour drive. When we first stopped for gas just outside of LA, still about 11 hours from our destination, a very creepy guy who was pumping gas next to us looked at our gear in the back of the pickup and said, You ought not disturb nature this weekend. It won't be kind to you. The woods don't want you out there. We ignored him, finished pumping our gas, and left. We hit a rest stop several hours later. It was basically a preserve that was also a truck stop. It had a little informational wall that told us all about the local wildlife. We all went to the bathroom and my little brother and I came out to read about the animals in the area. When we walked around to the other side where it gave info about all the plants, we noticed a piece of paper folded and taped to the very middle. I unfolded it and it read, Leave nature alone. You've already been warned. Immediately, my brother and I were creeped out. First the guy at the gas station, now hundreds of miles north. We found a note that seems directed at us. Of course, my mom and stepdad didn't seem too bothered by it. So we pressed on and eventually arrived at the campgrounds. We all hopped out of the car and stretched our stiff limbs and cramped legs. We went and picked out a plot of land we intended to camp on and set up our tents. I set mine up a little further into the trees than the rest of them. My brother stayed closer to the fire pit and the trail. The campground even had cabins, but I didn't want glamorous camping. I wanted it to be as tough and rugged as it could be for being a campground like this. Then we went to meet and greet the rest of the family. It was my first time meeting my new extended family and my cousins are really awesome people. They were so welcoming. After all of the activities were done for the day, we headed back to our tents and noticed that my stepdad's and mom's tent had been deconstructed and for some reason a dead woodpecker was sitting right in the middle of it. My little brother's tent was still perfectly constructed, but it was then sitting in the back of the pickup truck. And my tent was moved into the middle of the clearing that was used as an archery range. We all had a mutual WTF moment and we all got to work on putting our tents back. At this point, I moved my tent a whole lot closer to my family's tents. After we finished up, we got into our tents and tried to sleep. That night, we all heard footsteps outside of our tents. Normally, we would assume it was people who owned the campgrounds doing a walkthrough to make sure everyone was okay and that all the campfires were put out. But these footsteps, they were running back and forth. When my stepdad and I poked our heads out of our tents to see what was there, we couldn't see anything. It's safe to say, nobody really slept that night. 
The next morning, we discussed our experiences with the grounds owners and the rest of the family, and they said that they didn't know of anything. We assumed maybe one of the younger kids was bored and playing a prank on us, but it didn't add up, given that we saw nobody out there when we had checked, and it just wasn't possible for anyone to hide that quickly. The second night, after we all went to our tents to sleep, we had an easier time. No footsteps running around our tents, but I did hear my little brother reading out loud, which was weird. We didn't bring a book for him, so I had no idea what he could be reading. I assumed maybe he had borrowed one of my books, but when I checked my bag, both the books I had brought were still there. So I listened more closely to what he was saying, and he was reciting perfectly the stuff we had read on the informational back wall at that rest stop. When I woke up the next morning, my brother was already awake and he immediately asked me, Did you hear mom reading last night? I was a little stunned but replied, uh, no. I heard you reading or reciting the stuff from the wall at that rest stop, actually. He looked puzzled and explained that he had thought that he heard mom reading. I heard your voice, I stated, and he replied, It was mom. I could tell he wasn't lying. He smiles when he tries to prank somebody, he just can't help it. He's notoriously bad at keeping a straight face, so I believed him. We heard the same thing at the same time, but he heard my mom's voice and I heard his. When we went back to talk to my mom about it, she wasn't in her tent, but there was another dead woodpecker in front of the tent. We found my mom up at the rec room, along with my stepdad. We explained to both of them what had happened, and they both seemed very concerned. We asked what was wrong, and they showed us a note that they had found that said, This is your last warning. They had already seen the second dead woodpecker outside of their tent, and had chose not to clean it up so they could show the grounds owner and see if he knew anything about it. After that, we packed up our things and threw them into the back of the truck. We weren't ignoring it anymore. We decided to stay in a hotel in a nearby town, have one last breakfast with the family the next morning, and then head back to Southern California. So that's what we did. The next morning, we went back to the campgrounds to meet up with everybody and have breakfast, say our goodbyes, and then head home. We pulled in and parked at the rec room, ate, and had some conversations, and then decided it was time to go. But when we got outside, everything we had packed into the back of the truck was missing. After a small search, we ended up finding it all set up back in the spot that we had previously been camping, where all that creepy shit had been happening. The rec room walls were almost completely made of floor-to-ceiling windows, and our truck was parked right in front. We had the perfect view of it and somehow saw nobody touching our stuff, and nobody else seemed to have seen anything either. It somehow just appeared at our old camping spot. This time, we opened our tents, and each of us had a dead woodpecker inside with a note that said, Safe travels. The following year, everybody decided to have a reunion at a different campground, breaking a tradition, of course, of having it at the same campgrounds they had for the past 25 years. It wasn't just my mom, stepdad, and brother and I that were shaken by this. Even though it seemed that we were the only ones that were being targeted, it inspired the whole family to get a new place for reunions going forward, as everyone was scared. The last two reunions I attended the past couple of years have been at a new campground and everything was fine. Nothing creepy at all. For our fourth story, three friends camping on a secluded hilltop are stalked by something in the night. When I was 17 or so, two friends and I decided to go camping on a field next to my housing estate so we could drink beer and listen to music as loud as we wanted. This was a huge grassy field on a slight hill where all surrounding houses were far enough away so that we wouldn't disturb our neighbors and we couldn't be seen by anyone unless they were extremely close to our tents. It became late and my two friends had fallen asleep. I was having trouble sleeping around this time, so I lay awake for hours just thinking. Around 3 a.m., I heard a distinct sound of grass and vegetation as if somebody was walking around our tent. I was stunned with terror. For one, because this private field owned by a farmer who would probably be angry with us if he had found us. But more so, because I hadn't heard anyone approaching. Just suddenly, there was somebody outside our tent. I held my breath out of fear and shock, 
which is when I heard another set of footsteps belonging to a dog by the sound of it. Filled with dread, I was just laying as still as possible, breathing slowly and quietly, listening to the person and his dog walking back and forth outside my tent. I thought we were gonna get shot or at least beaten by this dude. Then I saw this guy's shadow, which freaked me out even more than I already was. It was huge and looming over us every time it passed our tent, and I couldn't see the dog's shadow even though I heard it making increasingly erratic motions around the tent. This carried on for around five minutes, although it felt like much more time had passed. The shadows disappeared and the sounds faded away. They didn't even leave anything. It was much more like they were still walking outside of the tent, but with perpetually lighter footsteps. When I was sure that the sounds had ceased and there was no threat awaiting me outside, I said to my friends that we had to go because somebody knew that we were out there and if it was the owner, we were going to be in trouble. I told them everything that had happened and they didn't believe me, thinking I had been asleep as well and dreamt the whole thing. I assured them I hadn't and that we had to go right now. They even tried to get back to sleep, ignoring me because they're lazy as hell and didn't want to pack everything up and go. I gave up too, even though I knew something was outside and I would never go back to sleep. Ten minutes later, the sound returned, just like the volume outside had been turned up gradually. I felt the same dread that it felt before and whispered one of my friend's names so that they could wake up and hear, shh, one said. They already heard and told me to open up the tent to see who was terrorizing us. I did so slowly, easing my hand out of the sleeping bag and up the zipper. It probably took about five minutes for me to reach the top of the zipper, just so I was sure not to make any sound, and pulled it down so violently I nearly ripped the whole thing off. There was nobody there. We got out within five seconds, and there was nobody anywhere. As I mentioned, we were at the top of a hill and in the middle of a field, and so you could see if anybody had been around, but there was nothing. Even though it was impossible for anybody to escape without us seeing, I'm absolutely positive there were footsteps outside of our tent that night. As far as what it was, I guess I'll never know. Now onto the second to last story of the evening. A group's hiking trip to a secluded pond in Illinois turns chilling as they experience an inexplicable encounter with an old crone in the woods. It happened over the time span of two to three months in Southern Illinois with my girlfriend, sister, and two friends who are dating. We went at night the first time. It seemed like a good idea at the time. The trail was short and within walking distance of my friend's house. We followed this short trail out to a very secluded pond that almost nobody knew about. We were sitting on the edge of the lake, smoking and enjoying the view, when me and my other guy friends started to feel like we were being watched, which made us feel uneasy. We generally have good instincts about things like this, and we know when to bug out, but our girlfriends and my sister said that we were just being paranoid. Then, it got cold. Fast. It was January, but the night that we went, it was around 60 degrees outside. It dropped probably 40 degrees in about 10 minutes, and there was this weird feeling in the air. Everyone felt cold inside and out, and there was this intense vibe around us all. At this point, the girls started to freak out, and we hauled out, all the while feeling eyes on us. When we got back to the house, the temperature had returned to normal. Fast forward a month, it was a full moon and the perfect time for a night hike. The other couple wouldn't go, so my girlfriend and I went alone. We were sitting on the edge of the pond again, and she had her head on my shoulder. All of a sudden, I had an overwhelming sense of dread emanating from behind me, like there was a presence there that I couldn't see. I looked down at my girlfriend, and her face was frozen in fear. I was about to ask her if she felt it too, but as I was about to speak, I heard a woman's voice in my ear. She said something that I completely understood but couldn't say out loud because it was the darkest, most horrible parts of me in a language that I knew wasn't of this world. I stared at my girlfriend's face, hoping it was her, but it wasn't. 
I started trembling and told my girlfriend to remember everything that she thought and felt at this very moment. After a few minutes, the presence was gone and we started running back. As we were doing so, we both felt watched and heard branches cracking and odd noises from the woods behind us, as if we were being followed out. We got back and I asked my girlfriend how she felt. She said she felt so sad, cold, and alone, like she wanted to die and that she was being watched. I tried to convince myself that we were just being paranoid. My girlfriend and I agreed to never go back to that place again. Fast forward another month or two and I had a day off and nowhere to go until my girlfriend got out of class. I began to get curious, so I decided to go to the pond alone in the middle of the day. I sat in a different part and had no trouble, and started walking along the edge towards the spot where everything had occurred. As I got closer, I heard something following me in the trees, but I couldn't see it. I sat down, scanned the trees on the opposite side of the bank where I started getting that feeling again. The temperature dropped about 20 degrees. I slowly looked up a little bit and saw the reflection of a woman dressed in black rags six feet away from me in the pond. As I saw that god-awful apparition, I heard a blood-curdling scream come from the woods behind me, and I whipped around. When I looked back at the pond, the woman was gone. I knew I had to get out of there, but that meant going through those horrible woods again. I took off running and started hearing breathing, cracking of branches and footsteps behind me. As it got to where it felt it was right on top of me, I whipped out my knife and turned around quickly, but there was nothing there. And again, she spoke to me. Different words this time, but the same language. I took off, jumped in my car, and sped off. I'll never go back to that place again, because the woman I saw in the water that day was the same woman I had been seeing in my dreams since I was in third grade and started getting recurring nightmares three or four times a year. None of us knows how to explain what happened, and we all go camping, hiking, and exploring all the time. This was not a random chance or an animal. This was something else. I know not many people will believe me, but there has been zero embellishment to this story. For our final story of the evening, we have a reluctant camper that faces being cold, wet, and has a truly strange encounter in the woods. Let me preface this first. I hate camping. I mean, I hate it. I hate being cold, wet, uncomfortable, scared, and without any internet connection. Even more than camping, I hate hiking into places to camp. You know what's worse than being cold, wet, uncomfortable, scared, and without internet connection? It's being all those things while also being tired from a day's walk. Generally, the closest to camping I typically ever get is renting a cabin in the woods with plenty of Wi-Fi, power, toilet, running water, and we typically drive right up to the door. With all those things in mind, I somehow let two of my friends talk me into hiking and camping for part of my fall break during the, my junior year of college. The area we drove up to stay the night was on the border between East Tennessee and North Carolina. We were planning on staying three days, walking for a day and a half, and then camping, walking back for about a half a day, and then camping again, and then finishing the walk back and staying a third night if needed. We really had no idea where we were going to hike and just kind of figured we would play it by ear. Everything went great for the first night, other than maybe being a wee bit too cold after the sun went down. Nice bright sunny day, spent most of the night drinking and bitching about school, Laying in the tent, I almost forgot how much I hated camping and was jokingly considering taking it up as a hobby. Then the next morning, right as I was packing up, I was suddenly reminded of all the things I hated about the great outdoors. The sky opened up and decided to piss all over our good time. The nice low 70s quickly turned to the mid 50s when the sun ducked behind some clouds. I could have probably talked the guys that were with me into turning around and just heading back, but the weather in the mountains is finicky at best and malicious at worst. 
At times it felt like standing under a faucet, and other times it was a thick, drenching mist. I guess that's why they call it the Great Smoky Mountains. Without a constant downpour, my slave-driving hiking mates insisted on pushing on. As the second half of the day wore on, the sun decided it was done fighting the clouds and just ducked behind them for the remainder of the day. After a few hours and a change of socks later, we decided to stop and set up a tent. The fire was drying out our hiking clothes, and I was just in a foul mood. The only thing keeping my spirits high at the time was the second half of the bottle of spirits that I had brought with us from the night before. Our bitching about school turned into bitching about the weather, and despite how the rain had felt thus far, the clouds held off for the night. This is the part where I'd like to say I had a weird feeling, or my instincts felt off, or whatever. Truth is, I didn't feel a thing, other than being soaked to the bone and cold. However, I did notice my friend Tim several times glancing off into the forest just beyond the glow of the firelight. After a while, it kind of started to freak me out, so I asked him what he was looking at. He said he was feeling a little creeped out and watched. This immediately creeped me out, and all three of us retrieved our pistols from our tent. The mountains in East Tennessee are notorious for black bears, but they are mostly harmless. They spook easy and don't come back in greater numbers, as long as you don't get between them and their cubs. Still, I don't really want to take any chances, and there is plenty of things in the forest to be scared of other than bears. We decided, with how what it was, we were never going to keep a fire going for long, so we decided to go into our tent. We arranged our sleeping bags in a triangle and had some of our gear, including firearms, stashed in our bags in the middle. As the rain had still held off, we left the tent flap a little bit unzipped so we could keep an eye on the fire. A few more minutes of chatting and I finally lose the battle with exhaustion and pass out. What had felt like a very short time later, we heard the sound of something moving outside of our tent. I look at my hiking companions and say that they too are aware and are fully awake. We alternate between staring at each other and staring at the dim firelight coming from our fire slightly outside the open part of our tent. Just as I move to try to look out of the flap, we hear what sounds like a bottle of water being cracked open. Then, and the fire dies immediately. Sitting now completely in the dark, I felt like a cartoon character who could only see the eyes of my companions. We gave one brief look at each other and then dove out of our bags into the middle, scrambling for our weapons and the flashlights. A few panic-stricken seconds later, and all three of us were outside the tent looking for the intruder. There was nothing, and I mean nothing. No one was there. Whoever had doused the campfire had thrown the empty bottle of water on the ground and got the hell out of Dodge. Now this is the strange part. Okay, so someone came across our camp and decided to fuck with us. Big deal, right? Other than the empty water bottle, the only thing that would have left us knowing that someone had been there was a small rubber octopus sitting on a rock next to our extinguished fire. It sounds stupid at first, and laughably hilarious out of context, but for the rest of the night, we were terrified. That stupid little rubber octopus meant that somebody HAD been watching us after all. To this day, I have no idea who put out our fire, and how the hell they disappeared without a trace. This last tale reminds me of the astonishing story of Christopher Knight, also known as the North Pond Hermit. A recluse, Knight says he lived alone in the woods for more than 27 years. Authorities say he told them he's only talked to one other person in all that time. Officials say he lived at this camouflage campsite in the woods, even in the dead of Maine's brutal winters. It's just amazing to me that he could make it through Maine winters like that, living in a nylon tent. Police say Knight targeted vacant campsites, stealing to survive. Could the thing that doused the campfire been another hermit in the woods, just like Christopher Knight? I guess we'll never know, but it could be. Once again, thank you for joining me on this camping expedition into the unknown. Hope you enjoyed tonight's episode and come back soon for more. 
Until next time, dear listeners, I'll be leaving you in the dark where whispers linger and shadows dance. Stay wary, sleep well, and beware the whispers in the night. If you have a story to tell, you can reach us via email at contact at campfirecultpod.com or leave us a voicemail message at 720-297-8608. Find us all over the place socially at Campfire Cult Pod and online at campfirecultpod.com. And finally, if you don't mind, please rate and review wherever possible.